Let's open our Bibles, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2. Last time we looked in uh, verses 6 and 7. Let's read those. Chapter 2, Colossians. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him or walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Really, the, the theme really in those verses uh, for me is to continue on, to press on, to keep going forward, not to... Not to uh, stand still, not to go backwards. And, and, and if we're not moving forward, we actually are going backwards because the kingdom of God is going forward and we want to go with it. Uh, we see the different, different parts of that verse there. Number one is to receive him and we receive him by faith. It's the most important step, this beginning of the new life. And, and then we continue just as we received him in that way by faith, we continue to live in Him and walk in Him by faith with deep roots, it says there, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I'm just wondering when I was, when I was uh, putting these notes together, I'm wondering, does anybody at all have something that they're thankful for this week? I'm just curious, a little bit curious. Anybody have something they're thankful for this week? Your church. Awesome. Anybody else? One thing? My husband is coming for his clinic to Middle East. Oh, that's awesome. Praise God for that. He's been in what? Where was he? Kuwait. Kuwait, yeah. Anybody else? You got one thing you're really thankful for, Billy? One thing I'm thankful for the trip that I'm going on next week to South Carolina. Going on the men's conference. Yep, really He's thankful and he hasn't even got there yet. It's good. <laughs> Anybody else? One thing you're thankful for, Dee. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nick, thankful for your wife. Good answer. <laughs> Anybody else? Wow. Young evangelist. Awesome. Thanks, Lori. Anybody else? Anything to be thankful for? Ah, yeah. John kind of uh, rose from, well, he wasn't quite dead, but he, he, he kind of <laughs> had a little uh, thing, and we're glad to see him here alive and well. Kayla? Awesome. Yes. The women's Bible study. Awesome. Anybody else? It's not that hard to come up with stuff, is it, Barbara? <laughs> yeah, sweet. Good. We're glad to have you back, too. It's not that hard to, be, to find something in your life to be thankful for, but he says it's even more than that, right? He says here, overflowing with thankfulness, where the, where the stream or the river or the brook, whatever it is, it kind of overflows its banks with thankfulness, that, that we do have a lot to be thankful for. And, and uh, how do we do all these things? And, and I had some simple things that are very important, I believe, uh, 
how do we keep this and we grow and learn and have roots and, and that. I think number one is to stay in fellowship and, and to be a part of a, a fellowship. And a couple of people have mentioned that even that they're thankful for it. It kind of keeps us on track. It keeps us, you know, a little bit of accountability, like, you know, that we're going in the right direction, that we're, we're, we're heading somewhere together as a family. Uh, number two, to stay in the Word. you gotta, you got to stay in the Word. It's so crucial, so absolutely crucial. And then the third that I think is also important is you need to serve. You need to serve somewhere. And that might just be picking up cigarette butts outside, or it might be uh, helping to cut the grass, or it might be helping with the children's uh, youth church, or there's so many different ways and avenues, but, but to serve in some way or another and say, well, that's mine. I, I, it's, kind of, it's kind of a problem but it's a good problem when someone says, no, no, that's mine. That's my job. You can't do that. It's good that people take ownership. It's when they get a little attitude about it. You know, that becomes a little bit of a problem. But, but, but for people to say, that's mine, and, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to show up and be there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. And, and for, for all these years, uh, God has proven to us that, that it's really his work, but we got to show up. Sunday by Sunday, you know. Uh, whenever we are doing something, we, we show up. We're faithful just to show up, and then he's faithful to pour out everything that happens. It's, it's really, that's really the way that it is, and, and we've seen it all through the years. Now today, uh, the title that I have chosen for the next few verses is All the Fullness is in Christ. All the Fullness is in Christ. And there's some big questions in life. I think, uh, you know, when we're by ourselves or we're just kind of going through this life, some big, big questions we ask, like, what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose? Is there any purpose? And, and, and then, you know, things that go along with that. Well, why am I so empty? Why does, why does life feel so empty? Some of these very, very important questions that I think we need to, to grapple with. But I think what's also just as important as what we're going to see here in these verses is where we find the answers to the questions. Everybody, I think every person, Man, woman, and child, in some way, shape, or form, faces the same questions. We're all humans. We're all in this. There's one human race. But where we find the answers is a very, very, can be a very different thing. And this is what he's saying here. It starts off with a warning. Let's look in verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. His, his warning it says to beware, to watch out, see to it, that no one, that no one will deceive you or take you captive. Now, who does that include? When he says no one, who does that include? Everyone, I think, right? And I, and I thought about that, and I said, does that mean that we have, have got to be skeptical and critical of everything and everyone? Well, to some degree, yes, because that's what he said. And, and so what is our judge? How do we judge that? You know, how, do we, how do we gauge whether what someone is saying is truth or not truth ultimately gets back to God's Word, our foundation? Of God's word. Now, the interesting thing is, Paul is writing here mainly to believers who the false teachers were attempting to affect. 
And it's also interesting to think that false teachers most often go for the believers. They don't go, they're not on the campaign to save the lost. They're on the campaign to save the believers from their misguided notions of biblical authority and the truths of God's word. They don't say it that way, but that's really kind of what the underlying thing is. He says here, watch out, see to it that no one takes you captive. And that includes the pastor in front of the church. It includes someone who's teaching the Bible study, who's someone who's a friend of yours is trying to share something with you. Oh, you've got to know this thing and you've got to have this special little thing and, and this special knowledge that we have just been enlightened and we've got this new enlightenment that we've got to pull you along with. He says, watch out. There's got to be a system of kind of red lights that go off in the head that say, wait a minute. See to it that no one's going to take you captive or to lead you away, the word means to seduce, to spoil. We have got to be discerning. You know, we find that challenge over and over in God's word. And again, if you're not in God's word, you're not going to one know. Number one, know that you need to be discerning. And number two, you're not going to know how to be discerning. You're not going to have anything, as I said a few minutes ago, to, to gauge it, to, to compare to. If you don't know what God's Word says, you won't know. Somebody could sell you anything. I could sell you anything. The preachers on the TV set, on the radio, could, could lead you down all kinds of paths. But if you don't know what God's Word says, but if you do... There's, there's a discernment that, that God will build into your life. Paul said in, um, in Acts chapter 20, he was speaking to the elders at, at Ephesus, and he said this, and he said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. Distort the truth. Why? In order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. He says, remember three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I never stopped warning you. And it was so important to him, he would literally have tears, crying. You've got to beware. You've got to watch out. There are wolves. But notice what he said there, that even from your own number, they're, they're to rise up from within. It's not like necessarily someone from the outside that comes in and says, oh, this new thing I want to teach you about. No, even from within. But, but the motive really there is what? He says that to draw away disciples after them, that they would have somebody follow after me. It's a power thing. It's a, it's a self-centered thing. I need people to follow me. He says here back in Colossians, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive, no one spoils you, no one leads you away through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now you say, well, does that mean philosophy is bad? No, philosophy is not bad. The, the word philosophy means love of wisdom, right? Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, phileo and sophie is uh, wisdom, so the love of wisdom. It's not a bad thing. In fact, I, I've, I've just begun recently to read the Proverbs uh, once a day along with my regular reading. And so I'll read the proverb for that day. Uh, whatever that, you know, if today is the 7th. So this morning I read Proverbs chapter 7. And, and the Proverbs are completely full of wisdom. And over and over they're saying, get wisdom understand 
get knowledge. And so it's full of philosophy. But the question is, and what he's pointing out here, is what is our philosophy based on? What is the foundation of our philosophy? The wisdom that we have, the understanding that we have, the knowledge that we have. The fullness is in Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. We studied this a few weeks back. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. He says, in, in whom, that is in Christ, if you look the word before, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're all found right there. The fullness is in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. You say, well, you're making too much of Jesus. No, the truth is we don't make enough of Jesus. That's the truth. As believers, as the church, as Christians, we don't make enough of who he really is. We, we, we uh, water it down with all kinds of other weird stuff. But what was going on here is this hollow and deceptive philosophy, the, the current fads of that day, wisdom apart from Jesus, is hollow. There's nothing there. It's nothing inside. It may have this kind of look outside. It's de deceptive. It's not what it seems. You've got to be careful. The, the, the current wisdom and the current fad of today, there's all kinds of different philosophies today. There have been men and women through the last you know, 50 years or, or more who have, you know, wanted to present their philosophy that does not include any kind of God. And specifically the God of the Bible, I think, is they would point most specifically at. Non-theistic, no God. And so what that becomes is, is where we get the word humanistic. It's all human-centered. There's nothing outside of us. It's all about us. It's all based on us. It's based on our own intellect, our own wisdom, our own reason. See what he says there? The, the basic principles of this world. Human tradition and the basic principles of this world. I tell you what, though, it, it, that scares me to think that we're going to live a, a philosophy of life based on, on our intellect, our wisdom, and our reason. That's scary to me. The, teaching, the teachings of men, the, the, you know, the traditions, the things that have passed down, what so often gets us into trouble is when we say we've always done it that way. We've always looked at it that way. We've always understood it that way. Well, that doesn't always make it right. Well, that's what someone told me. And so I just held on to that. Someone said the false, the worldly, even the religious elementary teachings. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. It's just plain foolishness in God's sight compared to God. Now, that doesn't mean that, that there isn't a place for the wisdom of, of man. But again, what's it based upon? And what's the underlying foundation? And where do, we, where do we submit to when there's any kind of a question? When there's ever any kind of discrepancy, where do we go for the final answer? It's got to be God and His Word. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Jesus said, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. The basic principles of this world, the elementary 
principles of this world rather than on Christ. It's hollow. It's deceptive. Watch out, he's saying. You're not going to find the answers to those big questions there. Watch out. Interesting thing that as I was studying about this, the, this, this, uh, this phrase, the basic principles of this world, it, it can also mean this, the elemental or the basic spirits of this world. And including the spirits of the stars and the planets, which includes astrology, which back then they were into big time. Astrology isn't new. There's nothing new under the sun anyways, Solomon told us. But astrology was huge back then. You know, they, they basically, their, their whole lives were fixed by them, one man wrote. He says they were the slaves of the stars. But also the, the evil spirits were at work as well, inspiring this false teaching that the doctrines of demons, as Paul talks about in, in uh, Timothy. So you've got, you've got a lot of different things that are going on here. You've got just the, the, the human aspect of it where this is, this is, I've got the answer now and I'm going to tell you what the answer is. And, and they had that happening back then and we have, that, we have that today too. You just go to the bookstore and find, you can find all the self-help books you need. Like, I have found the new way to live life and to be happy. How to be happy in five easy steps. Step one, send me $295, and I will send you the course. And these guys are, are, you know, raking in the money. Hollow, deceptive philosophy that isn't based on Jesus Christ. There's a big, big difference. Our philosophy, our philosophy and our, our answers to life, they, they've got to be based on Christ squarely and soundly, securely. Not, not on a mixture. Not on both. Well, I'm going to mix the principles of the world, the philosophy of the world and the philosophy of Christ and, and come up with this strange hybrid. Hybrids are okay in cars, but not in our philosophy of life. Our philosophy needs to be based upon Jesus Christ and His Word. That's what he's saying here. Look at verse 9. This is why. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It's all there, not half of it, not three quarters, but all of it there. Jesus Christ. This is why he says we're gonna, we can base ourselves our philosophy, our understanding, find the answers to the questions of life in Jesus Christ because it's all there. God came down. He was fully God. He was fully man. We see his deity. We see his humanity. And it's interesting to note that both his deity and his humanity have been challenged by false teachers all through the ages. Both his deity and his humanity. They say, well, you know, he wasn't really God. He was just a man. He was a man. He had a lot of wise things to say, but he was just a man. And then you have the other guy saying, well, you know, he was kind of an apparition of the spirit, kind of a spirit being and everything, but he wasn't physically here. He didn't really come and, and do that because God would never do that. Well, how much of the Bible do you need to erase to come up with some of these ideas? Well, you know, it's because you put this second and your own ideas first, or some other man, 
or some other strange idea that maybe uh, was uh, inspired by demonic influences. I think a lot of cultic kind of things, there's, a, there's demonic influences that are, that are involved. He says here that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He's it. He's the whole package, the real deal. The very essence, someone said, of deity was present in totality in Jesus' human body. We, we've got to understand that this is the, the most attacked thing of all, who Jesus Christ is. As I said a few minutes ago, and I really think it's true, it's not that we make too much of him, it's we don't make enough of who he is. Because of verses like this, it says, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity, the Godhead lives in bodily form. All. He's the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. And and for the human race, he is the answer. And lastly, in verse 10, it says this, And, not only is all the fullness of the deity living in Him, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. You have been given fullness in Christ. We, as he said back in verse 6, we who have received Him have been given fullness in Christ. His fullness given to us, this idea of being full, this idea of being filled, this idea of of being that He is enough for you and for me. The King James Version gives another uh, aspect of this where he says, you are complete in Him. You're full, you're complete in Him. Which certainly brings us to this idea of emptiness versus fullness. The world offers The world has a lot of stuff on offer, but it doesn't deliver. It doesn't deliver. There's an emptiness behind it. It's hollow. It's deceptive. It's vain. There was a philosopher, French philosopher named Jean-Paul Sartre, and I I don't know a lot about him, but I remember when I was in college way back in like the 1800s, you know, that, that, that they were quoting him back then in college, and it was like an important thing. But he's quoted as saying this, that life is an empty bubble on the sea of nothingness. Now, I'm going to follow that guy <laughs> and his understanding of life. Now, it's not bad to know, like, what he's trying to say and everything. But that's not what the Bible's teaching me here, is it? What are you going to believe? This guy, life is an empty bubble. You're about to pop on the sea of nothingness. Or what it says here, that you have been given fullness in Christ. I am totally convinced that the enemy would like to keep us ignorant and unaware of what we have been given. He'd like to keep us ignorant and unaware of what we have been given. And so most of the time... We've been given fullness in Christ. Most of the time we're walking around, we have no clue. We haven't thought about it. We don't understand it. We don't think about it. And so we go, wow, I'm kind of empty. Wow, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of lost. I'm kind of wandering. And, and yeah, we have those times where life is hard and we struggle through things. But if we would get back to the Bible, like Warren Wiersbe used to say, right? I think the program was called that, Back to the Bible. And find out what it says here is that He's given us fullness in Christ, and He wants us to know that. 
We have been given fullness in Christ. All the fullness is in Christ, and we have received Christ, so we have been given fullness in Christ. Look at John chapter 1. I want you to turn back with me before we take some time in prayer and communion. John chapter 1. Not just Paul talking about it. John chapter 1, verse 16. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. This is the guy, John the Baptist said. This is the guy. And now John the Apostle says, From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after after another. We've been given fullness in Christ. All the fullness is, is in Christ. So, so back to the original question about all this is what are the answers to life? And, and are they found on the TV set or in the current you know, New York Times bestseller list? You can find books that, that give a lot of philosophy, a lot of answers, quote unquote. Uh, on the New York Times bestseller list. Did you know that? Where do we find true meaning, though? Where do we escape the emptiness? Paul the Apostle is saying, John the Apostle is saying, God's Word is saying that it's only in Christ and in Him we have been given fullness in Him. You, must, you might be saying, well, you know what, I... I believe in Jesus Christ. I received him, but you know, I don't always walk around feeling all full. That might be true, but you might not feel it, but is it not true? How much do we base everything on how we feel at that moment in time? You know, your feelings don't always tell you the truth. I hate to break the news to you. Some of us are so based on our feelings and we think, well, if I feel it, it's got to be the truth. It's not always true. How many times have you or I, you know, we've been up all night worrying about something because we felt like this was what was happening, and then we, we go and we, we get in the situation, we realize that that, ha- that wasn't true at all. And no basis in truth whatsoever. I want to tell you today that all the fullness is in Christ, and He has given you You and I, we have been given fullness in Christ. And the enemy does not want us to know that. The enemy does not want us to experience that. I want you just to be thinking about that. We're going to partake in communion. And number one, the step of receiving him. And, and, and even now as we, as we partake of communion, we receive him anew in a sense where we, we, we're, 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 again, repeating our, our, uh, the heart that we have to receive everything that he has for us, to receive him, partake of him. Because he alone can fill us. There, there, there's no worldly thing. There's not, you know, it's not some meal it's not, you know, the things of the flesh that are going to fill us up on the inside. It's Jesus Christ going to fill us. It's Him. So as we, as we celebrate communion, as we uh, remember what He did for us, and we, we kind of open ourselves up to Jesus, 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Father God, we thank you for giving to us your son, Jesus Christ. Say, well, there must be more. No, there's no more. It's all there. Because in him is the fullness of deity. And you have given us the fullness that we need in him. Father God, we pray that our philosophy and our manner of life would be built upon your word and not just the things of this world, not just on uh, what men come up with, not, certainly not on just what men feel, but on the truth of your word. Father, burn that into our hearts, I pray. Burn your truth into our hearts, God. We come, we open our hearts and lives to you today. In Jesus' name.